Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. And so today we have on another special guest on the show. His name is Pradeep Sangha. He is an author, advisor, and entrepreneur. Thank you for coming to the show, Pradeep. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to today. We have some pretty good stuff that we can talk about. And so just to give the listeners a little bit of background information about you, for those that aren't familiar with your work, could you tell them a little bit about what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm an advisor, entrepreneur um, in, in a number of different areas. But the, the biggest thing that I focus on right now is the advising side, which is working with entrepreneurs, mainly men, and helping them improve their performance in their business life as well as their personal life. So that includes aspects such as the relationship, how they're operating as a father, and how they are when it comes to operating as a human being and as a man. So we bring all of that together to bring a complete picture for how to live the life that any person would want to live and have pretty much have it all. Okay. And so what was it about, I guess, your life that made you kind of lean in that direction where you decided to find a niche of helping men develop in these areas? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of part of my path was chosen for me, part of that I, I kind of chose myself, but it really stems around my father. So my father was a business owner. He was a great dad, but he also struggled with the challenges that came along with being a business owner. He also immigrated in the early 70s from India, and he didn't really speak the language and just knew how to work hard. So him and my mom actually were working on an orchard before they ended up buying their own. And he he never really struggled with money per se. He did well, he worked hard, but you could tell that there was something that wasn't fulfilling in his life. He didn't feel fulfilled and therefore he actually struggled with alcoholism. And so throughout his life, he pretty much had everything he wanted on paper, but there was something missing and I could see that. And he kept drinking as a result of that. And then ultimately what it ended up happening was he worked his entire life. He worked for my brother and I and our family, he basically did everything for us. And his goal was to retire at the age of 65 and basically take the foot off the pedal. He's still going to work, but it was an official retirement age. But because of his alcoholism, it basically accelerated his diabetes and he died of a sudden heart attack at 64 and a half. And so this is something that I see a lot of guys struggle with is they're constantly working. They're constantly giving it all they have. And some of them burn out. Some of them have health conditions. Some of them just aren't happy with life. And they go for decades and they realize that they've spent so much time and energy doing or building something that doesn't even make them happy. And so that's really what led me to where I am. I also come from the corporate world. And business strategy is my forte. That's my game. I love business. I've been studying it for decades uh, and been in business for a while. And I've combined the two aspects of how do you bring your personal life and your business life together to have both sides? Because a lot of people struggle with one or the other. They feel like they have to sacrifice, whether they have to sacrifice a personal life to be successful in business or to have that personal life be there as a good father, as a husband they need to give up their business or not work in their business as hard. So there's that constant struggle and that constant battle. And we've, we have a system that we implement with men that actually allows them to have both sides and not have to continuously suffer to get it. So that's great because I'm sure that's the thing that the majority of guys struggle with. And I know it's definitely something that I struggled with too, getting to the point to where it went from having all the focus on 
just the job and what I was doing with that and seeing that I wasn't getting fulfillment with the school processing and corporate, but finding something outside of that. But it's great that you found a program that made it to where people could combine those two things instead of having them separate. And one question that pops into my mind from hearing you talk about it was, how did you know that this was the right niche for you, the right area for you? What was it, I guess, that, what was the idea that popped into your head or the experience that you had that let you know, I think I found the right thing for me to do? Well, I kind of ignored it for a while. And I kind of said, no, this isn't something that I wanted to do, not consciously, but unconsciously. I was really focusing on the business strategy side and the business growth side. But 80% of the work that I was doing with individuals was basically on them, on their personal life, how they are operating or performing as a person or as a husband or as a father, because those were the biggest challenges that they had. And so I just realized that I said, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a strategy we have or systems we have in place. If that person isn't able to effectively execute, then it's not going to happen. So that was a sign and, and everything in my past in terms of how I grew up with my father and influences from my grandfather who was in the army for 30 years, but also was a very spiritual person and everything that I learned that I thought was kind of, you could say, common sense or common knowledge um, wasn't really taught to a lot of men or boys at that time. So I was lucky enough to experience many different things, both the positive side and the challenging side. And I've used that to basically help guys because right now I can have conversations with pretty much any guy about anything, about any of their challenges and be able to help them get through or transition them through. So it kind of fell in my lap, but I, but it's something that I'm very passionate about because I always look back and say, well, what if my father had someone that was guiding him? How would his life have been different? Both from a business standpoint, because he, he wouldn't have to, you know, he just, he was successful out of sheer will and work ethic. So there's a business side, but then also on the personal side as well. Okay. And so to kind of touch on something that you mentioned earlier, uh, you talked about how some of the things that you thought were common sense or commonplace were things that other guys that you talked to uh, didn't know. And you had learned those things from your father. Could you kind of dive into some of those things? What were some of those differences that you saw between what you learned from your father and your grandfather and what you see a lot of guys missing today that you might, might have talked to, like some of your clients? Sure. A lot of it comes down to the idea of masculinity and what that really means. So both my grandfather and my father were masculine men. So they kind of ran the household, not that they were dictators or anything, respected women, respected their wives and, and considered their wives equal partners, but they took leadership. And that's something that a lot of guys are afraid to do these days because they're kind of afraid, you know, do I, am I supposed to be the leader of my household? Am I not? But then they also taught me. So my dad in particular taught me that it was okay to be emotional because my dad was a very big guy. He was very strong physically had this amazing presence, but he was the most emotional man I knew. He could sit down and cry in front of you and, and you wouldn't think any less of him um, because he just still had a masculine presence. My grandfather taught me the world of spirituality and values and principles. So my great-grandfather was a spiritual teacher in India for 50 years. So I got to see these elements of life that I don't think were taught to a lot of boys and which was things like working on ourselves first Right. And, and in our cultural background, we have these two things, which is called seva and simran. Seva means to give basically selfless giving, right? To give and contribute to other people and help them without expecting anything in return. And the second one is simran, which is to look from within. 
which means that everything that we want or need in life and feel good about is actually from within. And so I've seen a lot of my colleagues, I saw a lot of my friends, uh, I saw them grow up to be extremely successful financially, business-wise or career-wise, but they still weren't happy with themselves. And that was the opposite approach that I took was really to focus on myself. And I've been doing that for a very long, long time. And at the beginning, I, I may not have had the wealth or the, you could say the advancement that a lot of my friends had, but, or, or people that I knew, but I was able to far accelerate after, because once you realize how to be complete from within, once you realize how to manage your inner state, whether there's thoughts, your emotions, or your spiritual being, it becomes infinitely powerful. You become powerful and you're able to accomplish that, those things that you want and have that amazing career, have that amazing business. And, and, and regardless of whether you have it or not, you still feel good about yourself. So those are the approaches that I took differently that I learned at a younger age. Uh, so just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying is that the foundation that you got from your father was something to help you to be able to build a strong identity so that way when you went into different challenges in the future, like building your business and other things, your sense of self-worth was necessarily based on the results that you're getting. You already had like a strong sense of self, self-worth from the identity that you had established and you're able to go into those situations with that uh, inner confidence to be able to succeed. Is that oh, kind absolutely. of what you're getting at? Yeah, identity is definitely one element of it. Your belief system, for example, um, values and principles. These are all things that we operate by, but we don't really take a look at it. We don't really write them down. We don't really identify them and work on them and, and evolve them. So these, yes, so long story short, these are all elements that were implemented at an early age, which really helped me excel. Okay. And I know you also talked about values. What would you say were uh, some of the challenges that you faced whenever you got to situations where uh, the circumstances might have made it to where it was hard for you to stick to your values? Maybe the people that you're working with didn't share the same ones and it kind of put you in a tough spot because you kind of describe those experiences that you might have faced. Sure. I can tell you one of the biggest challenges that I've had early on when I was younger was just conflicting values because I always had this thought that I wanted to be extremely wealthy, but I would always, even in business ventures, I would just give away stuff. And that doesn't really go well when it comes to business, right? right. And so I, I would sit there and I'd wonder, what the heck is am I going on? I'm, I'm making all this money I'm, I'm, and I'm not accumulating the wealth. So what's, what's up? What's actually happening? When I actually sat down and, and identified my values and I knew the stuff, I had just overlooked it. Money and wealth wasn't even on my values list. It wasn't even something that I truly valued. Yeah, contribution was bigger on there. And so I was conflicted because I'm like, I want to be wealthy, but I'm not acting like I, towards wealth. And so I had to identify that to purposely actually write down wealth as one of my values, one of my core values. And then I started to make decisions differently because that's how ultimately that's how you're your decisions work. That's how your performance and your progress works is you base them on decisions that you make. And those decisions are based on your values. And if you don't have the right values, and I, and I don't mean right or wrong, I just mean values that align with what, where you really want to be. If you don't have those, you're going to be challenged. And a lot of people are challenged that, or maybe those similar to my situation, those, some of those values are conflicting. Because if you have conflicting values, let's just say a common one is family and wealth. And I see this all the time because a lot of guys are torn between spending time with their family or spending time in their business. So 
that's that's a conflicting value system and so we have to identify well maybe value or family needs to be higher up on the list and maybe business and wealth has to come down or maybe for temporary purposes maybe for 12 months or two years or five years however long it is wealth has to be at the top and you don't have to feel guilty for for not being at home all the time and then you can change your values the great thing about values is that it is that you can also always change them and modify them based on where you want to be in your life. I like that you brought this up and something that kind of makes me think about is a challenge I've even faced in my own life. And I feel like a lot of other young guys and maybe even older guys face this as well. But one of the issues I faced is that since I didn't have strong defined values uh, for, I, I would say the large majority of the time that I've been on earth, it got to the point to where when different opportunities or different uh, people came around and I had the option to have them in my life, I didn't necessarily know what fits into what I need and what didn't. And as a result, I kind of had to learn the hard way uh, in some of those instances, what didn't work for me. And it wasn't until I started to get a better idea of what my value should be and my morals should be that a lot of those issues that I ran into in the past they started to become non-factors. Have you experienced something that's kind of similar? Oh, absolutely. And it goes back to knowing what your values are. You have to have a vision of your life. You have to have a goal for your life or goals. And then those values have to align with those goals. If there's misalignment in any of those areas, a person is going to be challenged. And that's why a lot of guys and gals struggle is because there's something that's not aligned. And it's like if you were driving down the highway and the center lines were going off in different directions, you'd be kind of confused into which way you're going to go. And that's the same thing with your vision, your goals, and your values. They all have to be aligned because when they're aligned, you become extremely powerful. You actually make a lot more progress. There's things that you, you'll be amazed that you'll, you'll be able to do just because you're aligned. And people will see that. People will see how well you're aligned and they will gravitate towards you if their values align as well. But if they see that you're struggling internally, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to want to join your team or help you with your goal or your vision. And that's ultimately how we get to be successful in life or in business is to have the right people by your side, people that have similar values in some way, shape or form. Okay. And so another question I have for that uh, portion that you just brought up is how would you say that your relationships changed once you start to uh, really focus on your values and have them on the forefront and they were defined as far as like quality of relationships, the type of relationships? Well, I, the first thing is to be aligned with people that have similar values. And I'm not saying they have to be exactly the same. I'm not saying that they need to think like you or act like you or believe everything that you believe because that's boring. You want people that can think differently. But ultimately, you want to have somewhat of a similar value system. If your value system is part of its is honesty and loyalty and you have someone that's constantly lying and deceiving you, well, you're going to be challenged. So it's important to have the right people that have the basically similar values that you do. And that's, that's ultimately what makes life more fulfilling as well. When you have the relationships that you want in life, and this is a big lesson for me, there's relationships that I built as a result of this, there's relationships that I let go of. And not because the person was bad, not because they did anything um, that was harmful or deceiving. It's just because I didn't feel like it was aligned with my path in life. And so once I identified that, then I spend energy. And this is very important 
because we have a finite amount of energy, I spend the energy with the people that provide value to me and I can provide value to in, in their lives. And that way I'm not constantly depleted of energy. That energy is actually working towards something. And that's very critical. Okay. So the people around you in a way is somewhat of a team dynamic. And so all of you are offering some sort of value to the other person. And you talked about replenishing the energy from having similar people around you. And in turn, that's helped you in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not about, Hey, look, I'll do this for you. And you could do that for me. It's really about, am I making this person's life better? And do they make my life better? And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Okay. So not a transactional thing, but more so how can I offer value to others? And it just so happens they have the same mindset too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have you heard of a book called give and take? I think by Adam Grant. No, I haven't heard of that one. Okay. That's just what it reminds me of because it's, it's kind of a similar take on that sort of thing where they have three categories of people in the book. They have givers, takers, and matchers. Matchers are the type of people that are the transactional people, like what we just mentioned, where, yep. Hey, when this person does something for me, I do for them. Givers, givers and takers are the complete opposites where givers say, what can I do for others? Takers say, what can I get? And one of the things that the book says is that givers tend to be the ones that reach the highest levels of success whenever they give in the right ways. And so I guess it's not surprising that, that you would say that because it, it kind of checks out to what the book says as well. Yeah, I think there's, there's also some limits to that because I've seen people that have given a lot and they haven't received anything in return. And ultimately they deplete themselves of energy. So let's be realistic. You know, we can't constantly give out until unless we actually get some in as well. It's like a battery, right? If you're constantly pushing energy out, you have to be recharged in some way, shape or form. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be um, an exchange. It just means that yeah, you can't constantly give without actually receiving as well. So givers who continually give eventually burn out without actually, if they haven't received anything. So there's a balance there as well. Right. And just to clarify, when they talk about givers being at the top, when it comes to success, it's a certain type of giver. So there are a few different types. The one that you mentioned, the one that just gives without ever eventually receiving anything, not looking out for their best interests in any way. Those are also the ones that are on the bottom. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic how you have givers all the way on the top at the peak and you also have givers at the absolute bottom. And he said the main difference is the type of giver, like the ones that are smart givers or the ones where they make sure that they aren't giving to people that aren't going, they're going to take advantage of them and other things. There's much more stuff that the book dives into, but it makes sense what you're talking about. But that is something to consider too, making sure that the people that you're giving to Aren't, aren't takers for one, and that they're at least matchers or other givers being strategic about it in a way. Yep. Yeah. And so I guess another thing we can hop into is you're, all, you're also an author. And so you wrote a book called The Complete Man. And so could you give the listeners a little bit of an idea of uh, what you talk about in your book? Sure. Yeah. The Complete Man is about basically the, the entire life of a man. What does it take to be complete? What does it take to perform at your best, achieve and be fulfilled. Because those are the three elements that every guy wants in their life. He, every guy wants to perform at their best. Every guy wants to achieve their goals and every guy wants to be fulfilled. So how do you actually do that? So this book really brings in all aspects of a man's life from relationships to fatherhood, to sexuality, to masculinity, to business, to health, 
you know, all the different elements that we have going through our day to day lives. And a lot of times we don't pay attention to it, or we don't know exactly what to do to improve it. So it's a very actionable book. It's very, it's based on real steps that a person can take to perform at their best, to achieve their best and to be fulfilled in every aspect of their life. Okay. And so I guess this is more of like a personal question for you, but um, what would you say was the area that you struggled with the most personally out of the ones that you have listed in the book? Hmm, that's a really, really good question. I would say that the biggest area, and I think this happens for a lot of guys, is relationships and, and more of an intimate relationship, which is my marriage. And I've learned so much because every challenge that we've had in our relationship has led to me growing in some way, shape or form. So I'm thankful for a lot of these challenges because some of these challenges were created by me. Uh, some of these challenges were not, but I had to learn how to adapt to them, how to navigate through them. So it's made me a lot more powerful. It's allowed me to have these skills and develop an area of my life that a lot of guys I would say struggle with. And so I'm able to help them navigate through these relationship challenges that they have. I like the way that you frame that, where it seems like you're saying that having a wife and going through those challenges that come with having a partnership with someone led to you uh, developing into the best person that you could be. Uh, because it stretched you in, in different types of ways, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, right? Oh, absolutely. I think everything on life, I, I take it as a challenge. I take it as an opportunity to grow. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, if it's a financial challenge, business challenge, personal challenge, relationship challenge, I always say, what can I learn from this and how can I grow? And I always find something. I always find a way for me to grow as a person, as an individual, some element of my being grows. And I'm thankful for that because I think if you have that, that, that attitude in life, you'll be a lot further ahead. So rather than saying, why is this happening or complaining or worrying about it, you just take it as it is and say, okay, what can I do to improve things? What can I do to improve myself? And every time you do that, you get stronger, you, you learn more skills, you develop new ways of looking at things, different perspectives. And that's what ultimately allows you to be more creative, to be more nimble, to be able to get through those challenges in the future. Because if you're stuck in your ways, you're not going to be able to navigate through those future challenges because life is constantly changing, right? And that, that's something that's been talked about for centuries, whether that's through Buddhism or any other philosophy, is every single millisecond, this world is changing, we are changing, our cells are changing, cells are dying, and new ones are being created all the time. And so if we continue to get stuck in the, the same way of doing things and thinking that we're right, or other people are wrong, or this is the way it is, we're never going to be able to progress and evolve in life. So it's being able to look at things from a different perspective, which is mainly around curiosity about taking a look at, okay, what, what is happening in this situation? You know, what, what can I learn from it? What am I not seeing? And that is ultimate. It makes life a lot more fun as well. Okay. Okay. And so the question that popped into my mind, whenever you're talking about your growth and development is what would you say is the biggest difference in Pradeep today, as opposed to Pradeep when he was 22 or 23 years old? I would say my ability to manage my emotions because I'm very I am able to manage my emotions very effectively. So I'm able to turn a negative emotion into a positive one uh, in a very short time period. So I rarely get angry. 
I rarely lose my lid. I rarely, even sadness, I get sad to a certain degree, but then I, I'm able to transition that into a more empowering energy. Whereas before, I would be challenged with my anger. I'd be challenged with my guilt, or I'd be challenged with sadness. Whatever emotion it was that wasn't empowering me at that time would have a bigger and greater impact on me in a not so good way. But I'm able to use those same emotions to my advantage now. And that comes with time and that comes with practice. Okay. And so would you say that that's probably one of the most valuable skills that you've learned uh, throughout that time? Or I think by far that is, aside from the ability to learn, because I think that is the most valuable skill a person can develop. Because learning is a skill and it can be developed. It can be improved. Aside from that, the ability to manage your emotions and leverage your emotions, I believe, is the second best skill that any person, if you can learn how to turn your emotions to work for you rather than against you, you're going to be extremely powerful in life. You're going to be able to get through those challenges. You're going to be able to influence others. And people are going to see that within you because most people struggle with their emotions. And so what would you say are some of the ways that you've seen your clients hurt their results due to them not being able to manage their emotions in that way? Well, it's a big one. is just falling into the same cycle over and over again. And so cognitively, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They know that they need to change their ways, but emotionally, they just can't get past it. And so they get stuck in the same rut because our emotions have a huge influence and impact on our actions. In fact, that scientists believe that majority of our actions are based on our emotions in conjunction with our cognition, our thinking. But a lot of it has to do with how we feel. Right? We make decisions based on how we feel. And if we can identify how we feel, if we can leverage how we feel, if we can understand how we feel and use it to our advantage, then we're going to be a lot more, we're going to be better off. But a lot of guys don't know how to do And a lot of women too. This isn't just about guys. People think that women have a better understanding of their emotions. I would say they do to a certain degree, but not, not that much better than guys because they struggle as well. So knowing how you feel, knowing why you feel that way, knowing how you can actually use your emotions is something that I see a lot of guys struggle with. Oh, okay. Interesting. And the thing that you said about women and men, I think the thing on the, the women's side is that they're more, I guess they're, they're more free with their emotions as far as like, they don't feel maybe the, the same shame or like any of the other uh, un, I guess, undercurrents of emotions that a guy would feel when he's expressing something. I, I guess it's more like authentic as opposed to when a guy feels emotions at the same time, he might be feeling secondary ones from trying to hide it or shame from being angry about a certain sort of thing. And so that's, I guess, kind of the way that I would look at it. Hmm. Yeah. Women operate differently. Uh, women are more about groups. They're more about connecting. And so they have that ability to share with other women. They like to share with other women, whereas men in general do not. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a stereotype and generalization, but that's the way it is typically. And we tend to hold those emotions internally and therefore we and subdue them rather than actually deal with them. Just by even sharing our emotions could have an impact on our, our, our actions and how we think, because it's a release. It's a release of this tension that's held within us. And if we constantly hold that tension within us, it's like building up I'm going to say a bomb because eventually that tension just keeps building and building and building unless you have a way, some way to get over it, get past it, move forward or release it. It eventually catches up with you. 
And so that's, that's the difference is we're just not as vocal and we haven't been given the skills and women haven't either, uh, but they, they learn it more organically through talking to each other, but no one teaches us in school how to, or at that time, how to deal with our emotions. No one at that time taught most people, okay, these are what emotions are, right? This is what a lot of people struggle with. Um, it's more about history, you know, even philosophy, math, science, all that kind of stuff. But those real life skills are something that we develop when we grow up and get out of school. Yeah. And one thing I'll say is that it helps to have parents that are aware of those sorts of things because uh, they can help their kids to develop those skills at home since they don't learn them at school. One thing I'll say is that if it hadn't been for uh, the influence from both of my parents, I probably wouldn't be as well-rounded as I am today. Not saying that I have it all pieced together, but it at least gave me a little bit of a head start when it came to going into college afterwards and more from the skills that I learned from my parents. So I can definitely see what you're saying with that. Yeah. Yeah. Having, having parents that understand this is like a game changer. If you can, if you can take on the knowledge from your parents, if they have this knowledge and understanding, you're going to be way further ahead than a lot of people. It's just, it's just amazing what you can do if you have that early on and anybody can learn it at any given time, just because you haven't learned it at a younger age, doesn't mean you can't learn it later on. Life is just constantly about learning. There's every single day I learn about something new every single day. I always uncover something that I thought I knew. And I was just like, no, I don't know anything about that. So it's, it's a constant, constant evolution. And so what would you say got you into that mindset of being the type of person that was curious and asking questions and wanting to learn about things that you might not be familiar with? Because at least from what I've noticed with a lot of people that I've interacted with and you know, even some of the people that I've talked to about some of the content, it's just not, it doesn't seem like it's a, a natural thing for, I'll say, a lot of people to go and ask questions about anything that they might hear on the news or go research things on their own or try and do their own studying when it comes to different topics. You know, I'm only going to take a guess because I've, I've, I've been adamant about learning for a very long time, ever since I was in elementary school. And I just loved to learn. I love to put things together. I also grew up on an orchard, which was a different environment because I spent a lot of time by myself. There were days that I worked just by myself, nothing else but nature. So I got accustomed to my own thoughts. I got accustomed to my own feelings. I got accustomed to take things in life slowly. And I think that was a big, big part of it. There was also this one instance in elementary school. I can't remember exactly what grade, whether it was five, six, or seven, that a substitute teacher had actually written. And at that time, we had chalkboards. Yeah a bunch of words on the chalkboard, put circles around them and connected them with dots or, and lines and said, this is a mind map. And that was the first time. And we're talking about this is in the 80s, maybe early 90s. No one talked about mind maps. It wasn't around in North America. This was a European principle. And so I don't know where this substitute teacher got it from, but I was fascinated. I was like, well, what is this mind map? And as I started to learn, he, you know, he was talking, he was there for one or two days. I started to take a look at researching inventors like Leonardo da Vinci uh, and Einstein, for example, Tom Edison, all these great inventors that I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder how they think. Now, at that time, we didn't have Google. We had libraries and books. 
and the internet wasn't even really big at that time. It was just, you know, one computer in the library where you could look up if that library had a book or not. And so we're just reading books about it. And I just became so fascinated with how the brain worked and how the mind worked and how the body worked. And from there on in, I just became a student of, you can say, performance, a student of how we operate as human beings. And I, I never looked back. And so how would you say that it felt whenever you first started to see the results in your life from doing all that studying and learning that you were doing? Well, I didn't realize it until about grade 10, because I, I remembered that, uh, or a, a teacher had come up to me, my teacher at that time and said, well, how come you weren't at the awards ceremony last night? I said, well, why would I go to the awards ceremony? I have no reason to. And she said, well, you pretty much won every award in the school. And she said, you have to take, you're going to have to get a wheelbarrow to take them home. And I remember that I'm like, okay, this is strange. Like I just, I just thought that that was kind of normal. And I was a straight A student, for example, and I had a photographic memory, not because I would say anything special, just because I learned how to learn. And I just came across these techniques through reading, but also some naturally as well, that allowed me to excel. And then in, in my second year of university, uh, I was studying with one of my uh, with, with one of my peers, and we were just quizzing each other back and forth, going through the textbook, and 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 this person was asking me questions, and I was uh, verbatim basically answering. So I was able to basically memorize a 500-page textbook, biology textbook, word for word. And they uh, this person stopped and said, "You know that's not normal, right?" And I said, "No, I actually didn't know that." So that gave me an idea and idea that okay whatever i'm doing is working and not everybody knows this not everybody is doing this not everybody understands this so it's it uh, at that time i was like okay maybe i'm onto something different wow that's <laughs> that's unbelievable actually that your that your memory was so good that you could do something like that i know whenever i was in college just for like some of my finance classes that i was taking making quizlets for some of the different terms. I had to study them for like for days and days and days just to be able to make like a, a B or like a low A on the test. And so that's amazing how you could flip through the book and just memorize 500 pages like that. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah and you know, I think one of the biggest things that has, has helped me and I, and I, I tell everybody to do this. I, I teach all my, the guys that I work with to do this is practice mindfulness and even meditation because those are two things. Our minds are so full right now with stuff, right? The internet is bombarding us. Social media is bombarding us. TV, all this kind of stimulus in our brain that we never really get a chance to hold the information, really study the information that's truly going to impact us in a positive way. And because I worked on an orchard and a lot of the other students worked in different um, stores, for example, or they were out partying, um, going to the beaches and doing all those kinds of things, I had the ability to be one with my mind. I had the ability to study my own mind because I wasn't busy. I was working, but I, it was a different kind of work. It was a physical work. So my mind was free to be able to enjoy where I was, to be present where I was. I wasn't constantly thinking about the future or thinking about the past. And I wasn't bombarded by all these other things. So I think that that allowed me to be able to utilize my brain effectively. And that's one of the things I tell people all the time. And Buddhists say this, you know, before you do anything, first empty your cup, because most people are walking around with a full cup. 
And if you're trying to learn, you know, pour more coffee in a full cup, it's going to overflow. So you need to empty that cup first. And it's a, it's a very, very important principle that I think if everybody just did that, slowed down in life a little bit, removed the stresses that don't need to be there and the worries and the anxiety and the, the I'm just going to say even BS, you're going to be able to learn faster. You're going to be able to execute more effectively. You're going to be able to memorize things. You're going to be able to have a better quality life. Saying these things make me kind of think about the results you get from being on social media for too long. It seems like it's kind of just putting this cloud over your mind. And since it's all just cheap stimuli and everything, and you get addicted to notifications, it seems like it's the complete opposite of what you're talking about. It's really filling the cup and it's not with good stuff. And so what are your thoughts on social media? How do you use it um, or utilize it for your business? And how do you make sure that it doesn't have that same effect on you? Uh, social media is, is like free crack. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, and they're smart. When I was at, uh, at Stanford, I remember at that time, I, a couple of students talking about how they were being headhunted by Facebook and Instagram. And these were behavioral scientists. These were neuroscientists. So Facebook and Instagram are very smart. I was talking about this 10 years ago. They purposely hire the best scientists to get you hooked, right? They know how your brain works. The number social media, all this kind of stuff isn't a benefit society. It really isn't. Yes. Does it benefit society? Yes, it does. I'm not saying it doesn't, but these owners don't have a stake in Instagram or Facebook. Shareholders aren't out there investing in Facebook because it's a, a positive social platform. They're trying to make money off it. It's a monetization platform. So you can either use it to your advantage or be used because that's ultimately what it's about. It's about making money. And if you're not using it for a positive impact, whether it's on your friends, your family members, or just the community at large, or you're not making money off it, well, then you better get off it because you're going to be wasting your life. In fact, a lot of people are hooked on it. I see this all the time. I've had to erase the majority of the apps on my phone and knowing how they operate, right? And this is my, this is my wheelhouse. Neuroscience is my wheelhouse. I understand this. I was still even getting addicted to it. And so I got sucked into the trap. So I think I use it right now. I use it for, for marketing. We do a lot of digital marketing, but, and we've had to change our approaches because in the past we, we did it to get people's attention, to keep people's attention. But I'm just finding that there's just a lot of garbage out there. And I feel that if we're not like contributing to someone's life, then there's no point in posting something. Sometimes I'll post something because I just feel like posting it. But there's always some kind of underlying meaning, some kind of underlying uh, innuendo, basically, to say, okay, you know, maybe indirect to say, okay, maybe you can improve your life by doing this, or maybe you should think about this. So long story short, I think social media has helped society, but I think it's one of the biggest things that is a detriment to society, that is deteriorating family units, relationships, parents. Um, kids like there's no reason that young kids under 10 years old or even up until a teenager should have a cell phone they don't need one unless they're you know absolutely need to get a hold of their parents or from a safety perspective because i see kids all the time they're sitting across from each other texting it's like okay talk to each other right talk to each other engage with each other interact with each other i think these social skills are going to be lost and that's one of the things that brings true happiness and i'm very adamant about this i Social media friendships are, 
as much as they may be, let's just say genuine, they're not real relationships. They're not. And we've seen this through COVID. We've seen the challenges that, has ha that have happened with society. We've adapted to online. Um, a lot of people have. A lot of people have adapted to Zoom. So why is our depression and anxiety rate still going up when people are able to talk to each other online and through social media even more now? Because we've seen the numbers of people and the, and the time they spend on social media skyrocket because they're at home. Well, why aren't they getting any happier? It's because those aren't true relationships. Those aren't quality relationships. There is a different energy when you're in front of someone, talking to someone, interacting, hanging out, than you are just sitting on a computer or on your phone. And I think that's very, very important for parents to understand because we set the tone. My kids are eight years old and six years old. I, as long as I can hold out, I'm not going to give them a cell phone. I don't let them sit on iPads. My son is eight years old. And this is the first year he got, he was, he had the ability to use, or actually it was last year, to use a laptop. And that's only because he was going through school, uh, through Zoom, because it was online classes. I want him to be able to interact with people in person. Anybody can learn how to use a computer. Anybody can learn how to use social media. But I can tell you very definitively, a lot of people struggle with building quality relationships. A lot of people struggle with dealing with their own emotions. Those are skills that we need to be teaching kids, not necessarily how to use social media. So that was my, that was my rant. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. I agree with pretty much everything that you said. And uh I guess some of this stuff sounds familiar to me because I read a book that was about this called uh, Digital Minimalization by Cal Newport. And so it kind of touched on all the same things that you had mentioned because social media had been something that I struggled with in the past. And since I deleted all of my personal accounts, I made some for the podcast now to try and promote it. But that was one of the things he said in the book. And it's something you mentioned as well about being intentional with your use of social media. And so he talks about how if you're not using it to promote a business or, or something like that, then it's kind of hard to find real substantial reasons to use social media. And he brought the same point you made about how it pretty much cheapens relationships. How I'll say that most of the people that I'm, I'm connected with on Facebook, I don't even remember how we met or the last time we talked may have been high school. So, you know, maybe, you know, seven years ago or something like that. And so the thing about it is that I feel like if more people took that attitude of trying to get something out of it, actually trying to either offer some value to people or gain some value instead of just tracking what everybody else is doing. I feel like a lot less people would be getting those negative results from it, which are the depression, which probably comes from the comparisons that people do. You're seeing the highlights of somebody's life. It's just a, a highlight reel all down somebody's Instagram. And so as they make you feel, especially in quarantine, when you're sitting there in your sweatpants, in a t-shirt covered in Cheeto dust. And you see this, <laughs> you see this person like on their boat, you know, that, that same weekend uh, doing whatever. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. And yeah, as far as like the communication and all that, uh, I have a sister that's, that's about to be 15. And it's the same thing where most of the time, the only time we ever talk is just, you know, through digital stuff. And I see just how in tune she is with all of it with TikTok and all the other apps. And she makes fun of me for not not using TikTok, but I can definitely see what you're saying about how, um, how, you know, it's, it's really something that it doesn't offer a whole lot of value to people all around. No. And I think we're in a crux in society. I think a lot of people are realizing that. 
and a lot of people are are combating that. So a lot more people now are actually deleting those apps. And so I think this is this is an awakening when it comes to just like any other technology, whether that's TV, the phones, smartphones, social media. People realize at some point in time it's healthy for you or it's not healthy for you. People, women used to smoke while they were pregnant, right? That was acceptable a certain time and period. And now it's not because people realize that's not healthy for you. And I think that's gonna, the same thing is going to happen with social media. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, for, for all of our sake, I hope so. But um, I guess to hop into a different topic, something else that I saw in your content was something called the four C's, if I'm correct. And so if you like, could you kind of touch on that? What, what was the inspiration for that? How'd you come up with it and what it means? Yeah, well, actually, there's a number of C's. Uh, we actually have 20 in, in total. Oh. But yeah, but with the four ones that we talk about the most are clarity, confidence, right? And certainty is another one that we mainly focus on because those are, those are things that are very important. So let's start, let's start off with clarity. This is one of the things that a lot of guys struggle with. Um, if you don't have clarity, a lot of guys say, yeah, I'm doing something. Or if you ask them what they want in life, they, they always tell you that they want a lot, big house or they want to make a lot of money or they want to own this massive business or whatever it is. And then you ask them why. And then you ask them how committed are they to it? And if that's truly what they want. And a lot of guys aren't sure, right? Because we've been tricked into wanting a lot of money. We've been tricked into wanting this massive house. We've been tricked into all these things. And social media has actually played into that quite a bit. But if you don't have that clarity, right, and know exactly what you want and why you want it, then you won't have the confidence. And that is important because if you don't have the confidence, then you won't be able to get to where you want to get to, right? The confidence is critical because I see a lot of guys that are putting on a show, but if you truly ask them what's inside, um, and this isn't a to take anything away from them because a lot of us feel this way at any given time in our life we feel vulnerable we may not feel strong but we put on this facade because we need to put on this facade of being confident but confidence comes brings you down to the next level which is basically certainty right and when you have certainty and and here's the difference when you have certainty and you know you're going to get something done you actually get it done because it's a different feeling. It's this, it's this, how do I even say this? It's like it's already happened and you haven't had to do anything to make it happen. You eventually do, but you have this vision in your head. You have this feeling that it's already done. And that's when things actually start to happen, right? There's an there's a old saying by an Asian philosopher. Uh, I can't remember if Sun Tzu or Lao Tzu or... Uh, that he talks about the victorious winner wins in his mind first and then goes to war. And that's very important to know that because if you can win over your own mind, which comes from certainty, then you're able to definitely have certainty in your life and, and, or have the things that you want into life. So if most, a lot of guys ask me, okay, so what do I need to do? A lot of ask, guys ask me, or people ask me even in interviews, well, what are the biggest things that guys struggle with? And those are the three things. They struggle with clarity, they struggle with confidence, and they struggle with certainty. Because a lot of that stuff that's presented 
is actually a facade. It's actually not real. Because if you take away the material aspects of a lot of these guys' lives, they feel like they have nothing left. And that's ultimately the true test. What if you didn't have a great job? What if you didn't have all the money in the world? What if you didn't have a beautiful wife or whatever it was? Would you still feel good about your life? Would you still feel good about yourself? That's a true test because if you can, then you're more likely to be able to live that fulfilling life. Uh, so just to make sure I got everything, first sitting down and gaining clarity on what it is exactly that you want and how you plan on getting it gives you the confidence, which is the next thing. And then from that confidence, that's when you get the certainty Yeah, uh, where you talked about how you can kind of move through it and you have no doubt in your mind that it's going to get done. And it gives you just that much more, I guess, motivation or makes your efforts that much stronger towards reaching that end goal. Yeah. And that gives you the, the fourth, which I didn't talk about, which is control because control, it's not an outer control thing. It's an inner control thing, which I talked about. It's about being able to be the master of yourself when things aren't going your way, because when you have that ability to do so, it's like there could be a hurricane around you, but you can still maneuver yourself in the way you want to. You're not panicking. You're not feeling guilty. It's not that it, there's anything wrong with feeling guilty or feeling sad or feeling angry, but you're able to get past those emotions a lot faster and, and actually go in the direction that you want to go to. And so that inner control is so, so critical. And it's, I always look to martial arts. I always look to the ancient Asian traditions and even Indian traditions because they focus on your inner control. And martial arts is the same thing. You repeat the same movements over and over and over and over again, not because they want to bore you to death. It's because you have to be able to control your mind to be able to keep going through those same movements. Because when your mind is bored, for example, or you're like, I can't do this, your mind is taking control of you. You're not taking control of your mind. And so being able to do those practices. That's why I highly recommend martial arts to people because it's a, it's a great discipline to practice inner control. That's actually how I got this injury. So, oh, it is it? Oh, yeah. awesome. So I do Muay Thai. And oh, so right I, I took a hard fall in practice and I, I tore my labrum. And so, but I definitely agree with what you're saying about uh, martial arts when, when it gives you the uh, inner control, because I'll say that most of the battle of learning this stuff and, you know, dealing with the pain of getting punched in the face and all that is really the, the mental battle, I would say. And so I can definitely see the value in it, at least from the time that I was in it. I, I plan on doing it when I heal up, but I, <laughs> at least for now, I'm, I'm going to be out of it for a while. Well, at least it was a good thing you were doing. Yeah. Why you got the injury. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, that pretty much uh, covers all the stuff that i uh, that I had planned. And so other than that, if anyone would like to find your information, where could they go? Sure. Yeah. You can reach out to me on social media channels. Uh, as much as I'm not active every day, I do check my messages every once in a while. So feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn are the two main ones. I don't spend that much time on Facebook. Uh, you can also reach out to me by going to my website, or you can, if you're interested in the copy of my book, you can go to completemanbook.com. And I, I go into a lot more detail into the, the tactics and the strategies to accomplish a lot of the stuff that we talked about here in today's episode. Okay, great. And I'll make sure to have those links in the description as well.
But um, other than that, thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. I think that you offered some very valuable stuff to the audience. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too.